On this week's show, we learn when solving for X on a one-dimensional plane where minus one by the magnitude of one equals minus X, you should always solve for vector R. Oh, and kidnapping kids and forcing them to watch your homemade puppet movies in a bunker for at least 25 years is bad. Something like that. I'm Troy Sauer. Brad Anderson. And this is not a bomb. Welcome to December. That's right. It's your favorite movie podcast, Not a Bomb. This is where we go back and look at all the movies that bombed in the theaters or just really didn't do well with the critics and do a reevaluation. Brad, we're not doing Christmas movies this month. What what did we decide to do? We're doing uh, some films that have been directed or produced by uh, the Lonely Island Collective. Um, yeah, so we're not wrapping presents. We're putting our dick in a box, Troy. Oh, boy. You went right there. <laughs> God, we didn't even like get a minute into this thing, uh, and you made that is. reference. Okay. There it is. Well, they're all comedies, right? They are all comedies, yes. Um, some more so than others. Okay. Um, what uh, I, I was going back through the list of films, and this year, I, we've done a few comedies. I, I feel like we've done a lot of different uh, action films, obviously – October is all horror films. Um, and I also noticed that the person who picked all the comedies we talked about this year was me. Do you, do you have something against comedies in general? I don't. I don't. Um, do you know what comedies we talked about this year? Oh, um, no. Quick no, change. I don't. Okay. With Bill yes. Murray. Uh, Hamlet 2. And I'll, I'll put this in the comedy uh, I guess genre, although it, it sort of Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that one. I'll, okay, I'm talking about intentional comedies. The other one would probably be Ghostbusters Two. That'd be sort of comedy, all right, horror, right? But not really yeah. horror, more comedy, special effects. Admi- admittedly, I'm pretty harsh when it comes to comedy. Okay, what do you mean by that? So I, at one point in time, if your movie was all fart jokes and penis jokes, I was okay with that. Uh, but now in my late thirties, I need something a little bit more sophisticated to make me laugh and make me feel good. So I won't, uh, that sophomore humor only gets so far with me now as like an adult. So, uh, I guess it's getting old, but of course I go back and and watch like Cheech and Chong and that's still makes me laugh. I don't know. Yeah. But, but I, I don't know. I, I try not to like be a laugh whore and laugh at everything. I, tr- I tried to make it seem <laughs> never like you gotta, that. you okay. gotta, you gotta make me work for it. And, uh, but I do go into comedies like wanting to laugh. Yeah. Like, when I go into horror movies, I want to be scared. Um, but I make you earn it. Okay. I, I find I have a weird sense of humor. So 
it is it you don't say Troy. Yeah, I never know what's gonna make me laugh, but there are things that will just uh just put me on the floor and I can't tell you what they are. That's until one I find of the them. that's one of my most favorite things about you is your sense of humor. It's literally all over the spectrum. It, it is so it hard is. to pinpoint what will make you laugh, but what does make you laugh just makes me smile. So Yeah, it's it's out there. I I figured real quick this would this would be something to discuss. So when when we're talking comedies I actually think there's an opportunity to step on a few landmines this month in this discussion. So, and and the reason why I say this is I think of all the genres that tends to get a little bit of heat right now uh, in the news and the media and, you know, people kind of going after comedies appears to be um, the genre that people are picking on right now, especially comedies from the past. And the reason why I say this, and it, it, it hasn't, actually just been like the last few months it's it's been going on i think for the last couple of years and are you going to use the word woke in the next five minutes i am okay <laughs> i don't know what else i mean it's a politicized term i think it gets thrown all over the place uh-huh. but it's definitely showing up more and more when you talk about film comedies and i'll, I'll give you some examples so back uh in march 23rd 2020 Vice um, had done an article called Classic Teen Movies Reviewed by Woke Teens. And basically, they sat down with a bunch of teenagers and said, hey, go back and watch Clueless, American Pie, Bring It On, Dude, Where's My Car, and Eurotrip. And got the perspective of, you know, current teenagers going back and looking at these comedies. And, you know, the, the whole gist of the, art, uh, the article was these didn't age well. And they're really kind of picking apart each of these films from the standpoint of this just isn't funny in in 2020. To be fair, I don't know if I'd want a bunch of woke teens watching any movie and telling me their opinion. To be perfectly honest with you, like, do I want some 15-year-old kid telling me what he thinks about Blade Runner or Alien or... Well, it's... I I get your point. I get your point. But it's like, to put that in context... Yeah, I know what you're going with this, but I don't care about the opinion of a 15-year-old, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, listen, it's it's just not the uh, woke teenagers. Uh, so these are some articles that have popped up here recently in the last few months. I thought this was interesting. From Insider on October 9th, 2021, the headline of the article was, Molly Ringwald says she hasn't found the strength to show her beloved 80s movies to her woke 12-year-old daughter. That's the headline. Whole article that Molly Ringwald is uh, basically telling everybody she can't show her her John Hughes classic comedies because of the content to her 12-year-old at this point. Doesn't stop there. <laughs> we've got another I think article. I think that's bad parenting, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, we've, we've got another article from November 2nd, 2021, a little bit more recent, from the Daily Caller editorial. And uh, this was, I I guess, an interview that occurred with Dan Aykroyd. And the article of this one is, Dan Aykroyd supports rightly canceling comedy that is offensive. And there's a quote. So here's here's what uh, Aykroyd says. There is enough range in humor where you don't have to go scatological and you don't have to go pulling any divisive cards to get a laugh. There's so much in the world to comment on that is outside the realm of offensiveness. As a writer, you can go to the other areas and have successful creative endeavors. Scatological humor is fun. It's easy laughs. But there is more intelligent writing that can happen if you stay away from the offensive material that should be rightly canceled for its hurtfulness. 
Who can be the subject of an impression today? That's an area of discussion. Can I do my James Brown imitation? He was one of my best friends. I do his voice pretty good, but maybe I shouldn't anymore. And just, uh, I, I had to look this up. I'll be honest, scatological comedy. I was like, what, what do they mean by that? And basically it's just, you know, immature humor is it's, it's a fancy way of saying, you know, fart jokes. But again, this is a quote coming from um, an individual who gave us such gems as Dr. Detroit, which is, uh, what was that, a professor who becomes a pimp? Uh, that that was is a, correct. Yeah, that 80s. is the, uh, yes. He also gave us Loose Cannons, where he teamed up with uh, Gene Hackman to play a schizophrenic, um, psychologically unstable individual playing opposite of straight man Gene Hackman to chase after criminals. Um yeah. What, what do you think about this? I mean, this is, this is just a taste of the articles out there where you have a lot of celebrities and a lot of editorial articles going back and looking at these films, or you have people who participate in these films from the eighties. That seems to be where I think a lot of these come from, right? People who, who, who did these comedies in the eighties and coming back and saying, Hey, uh, we, we really, we really shouldn't be watching these films anymore. I don't know how to show them to my kids or, we don't, we don't have to go for scatological, immature humor at this point. I, I have a problem with people saying we can't show things to our kids um, because I've been thinking about this a lot, having really young kids and wanting them to experience some of the films that I experienced and not providing context to what they're seeing. Um, if I want to show my kids something um, loose change or I want to blazing saddles or something like that. We're going to have a discussion beforehand about, Hey, this is what was going on at the time. We could do this. We could do that. Um, that's probably, I think of the smart route to go, right? Like you want yeah. to provide context. Everything is about context. So if, if I lay down, here is what was going on. We were doing this stuff. Yes. Maybe a lot of this stuff was meant to be hurtful, but at the time, we found it funny as a society. And as a society now, uh, we have, for some reason, determined that uh, some of these things we cannot do anymore. Um, and we're not doing those anymore. And we're trying to be a little bit more sophisticated in our humor. Um, we will see how long that lasts. Um, I think comedy is one of those very cyclical things that will always swing one way and then the pendulum goes the exact opposite. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're busting at the seams here soon to see like a George Carlin or a Richard Pryor or an Eddie Murphy come along and, and kind of bring back that type of comedy. Um, look, I, to me, it's hard because I'm a straight white middle-class male. So, I, you know, there's nothing that really gets under my skin. Like uh, Chris Rock used to make fun of white people all the time. And it's like, yeah, that's like when he would you do his white person invitation. I was like, yeah, I know guys that talk just like that. <laughs> um, it doesn't bother me. But um, well, and I don't think I, I think intent has a lot to do with the two. So, it, yes, yeah, I, I again, think context, context, it's all context, context and um, intent. Um, and, in, you know, if if you can define those. And like you said, where the people are coming from and the times that they're coming from. I mean, Richard Pryor is a great example. I think he's he's a uh, he's a legend in terms of comedy, 
And was some of his material super taboo? Absolutely. Could it, you know, or should it be done today? Maybe not. But at the same time, I think some of those topics could still be addressed, but you have to change the context around a little bit. Um, not context. I mean, watch context. Delirious. Yeah, watch yeah. Delirious or watch Eddie Murphy Raw. You're you're going to be shocked by what he says. I don't know when he is making – see, and it's hard for me. Like, yeah. I, I can say I don't know if he's trying to be mean to gay people or when, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle says things about uh, transgender people. I don't know – if he's trying to get a reaction, which is one thing, or if he's really mean spirited, those are two different things, right? Yeah. I can say things and have no intent behind it and just say it to get some sort of reaction because I'm on a stage with a microphone or in my heart of hearts, I mean every word of this and I am trying to burn everyone in my way. Like those are two different um, motivations. And I think that is important to know. When someone is on a stage, at some point in time, they are putting on a show, right? Yeah. I always thought like when Dave Chappelle or any comedian was on a stage, that's not who they really are as a person. It's like a wrestler. Like they are putting on a show. Um, There's some craftsmanship to it and and all sorts of stuff. But there's a line of uh, theatrics that's going on that I always kind of give a pass to. But again, I'm not like a gay man. So if someone says something about gay people, it doesn't really affect me in any sort of way. I might think it's funny or not think it's funny, but that's not for me to really decide if it's hurtful to somebody because I I don't know. I don't know. I don't have that sort of baggage. No, I, I, I don't even know if I would call it baggage. I think it's like you said, it's it's the context of how yeah. things are coming out. Um, it's also, I think, intent plays a huge part of that. And and at the end of the day, yeah, there's some things it's like, hey, we we really need to kind of take that out of the dialogue. That type of humor isn't necessary, but I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think um, as a society without comedy, you know, comedy has this element of exaggeration that's usually tied to it in order to make a point. Yeah. Uh, and yep. I, you know, people call it shock. I don't know if it's shock so much as just exaggeration. And sometimes it's that exaggeration that highlights something that, you know, as a, as a person, if it's good, you can go back and look at it and go, you know, that is kind of silly what we do as people. Um, not so yeah, much I as mean, a that's, category, that's where, like people. Yeah. We take stereotypes of people and, you know, turn them up to 11 and that's funny, you know? Um, and that used to be like a big comedy thing is taking the stereotypes of people and just making them over the top. Um, yeah. No, and yeah. I, I, I have no doubt. I mean, of the movies we're going to watch this month, I'm sure there's something that might not have aged well or uh, is kind of on the blacklist of topics that you're supposed to talk about today. We're going to try and tackle Have you it. watched like something like The Hangover in the past little bit? Uh, not recently, no. Okay. I, for some reason, I was just like, hey, I, I found this funny, you know, 10 years ago. I haven't seen it in a long time. Let's put it on. And to be quite honest, like there are parts that are really funny. And even in 2009, they're doing some things that you're like, yeah, I don't know if if the hangover ages well. And that's only like 2009. And I'm not really like, again, 
I'm watching this in my in my home, yeah. so I I can laugh at things that like no one would know that I'm laughing at. But even then, it's like, boy, there's some things that don't age quite well in that movie. Um, and again, that was 12 years ago. So, but again, is that movie trying to to go for that shock? And is it again? I, I, I don't it's know. tricky. I it's don't. tricky. I, I, what it, I have been is, watching, I'm on. I'm on the last season of Seinfeld. So oh. it, yeah, I mean, it's a great example of a show that came out sort of early '90s to mid '90s, and there are a couple episodes you go, "Oh, wow, that's kind of problematic." But yeah, and I mean, even Seinfeld has. I mean, like you said, there's problems with that. There's it's extremely white, oh, yeah. um, extremely. Yeah. Uh, but it also was very. It was original it was, for its time in terms of what it was, it was trying to do from a comedy narrative. Yeah. And it was progressive at times too. I mean, it did things well and not well. And look, (laughs) you do something for eight years. If we do this podcast for eight years, we're going to do some things well, and we're going to do some things. I'm sure we already have. My thing is here, here's, here's the thing. And this is the last thing I'll say is I, I think that one of the things that we do wrong is we don't let anyone make mistakes. Right. Yeah. So in a movie, at, Tarantino is the quintessential, I think, one of the the problem with some of his movies is his use of the N-word, right? He mm-hmm. loves and it, it is it seems that he does that for sort of like a shock and awe sort of thing. Um but then you look at him as a person, you're like, okay, this guy, you know, helped launch Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, Samuel L. Jackson was gonna be a, a big actor, regardless of pulp fiction. Pulp Fiction helped a lot. Um, Jamie Foxx, you know, all these people, and you're like, well, he can't be, he's doing things for actors of, you know, of people of color and for women. And you're like, ah, but he's also got this other stuff that you're just like, I don't know, no one's perfect, but we just have to let people make mistakes and we have to let people evolve. I am much different than I was 15 years ago. And if I would have watched the movie that we're talking about tonight, Brigsby Bear, if I were to watch that 15 years ago, my reaction to this film would have been completely different. No, I agree. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one more thing from a weird observation. So I think, uh, and this is just kind of stepping back from these articles and from this discussion about comedy, because I've, I've even heard another podcast that bring this up and they go, well, comedy's dead in 2021. Like you just can't be funny anymore. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but I do acknowledge that there are more and more articles coming out that specifically kind of go after the eighties. And I, I, you know, sharing this Molly Ringwald article, it just made me laugh, uh, audibly out loud. This is what I find funny. And, and the reason why I find it kind of funny is Hollywood is chasing after an eighties aesthetic and all these callbacks to eighties nostalgia. I mean, they're, they're bankrolling movies based on it. So some prime examples recently is like Steven Spielberg's ready player one and even this year's Ghostbusters Afterlife. I mean, Hollywood is specifically using all of these tropes and all of these films in the 80s and trying to make money off of it, right? And what's funny is you have, and Aykroyd's a great example, you have Hollywood bashing on past decades like the 80s and then turn around and make movies based on these properties make lots of money. So people go out and watch the source material as a result of discovering what the new version is. So like the Molly Ringwalds of the world and the Dan Aykroyds um, specifically, 
I don't believe the sincerity of these statements and I actually think they're full of shit. So I think it's one of those, I need to say this in order to show up on, you know, insider or, um, the, the daily caller or whatever it is, because that makes them topical for that moment. And and to me, it's like, look, if you want to put your money where your mouth is, give the money away, but they won't do that. Studios won't do that. So, um, it's a double-edged sword and I agree with you. You can evolve and you can all do all this other stuff, but I think there has to be an ounce of authenticity to it. And do I think Aykroyd is sitting here and saying, well, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have contra- controversial humor. You can, you can be funny without being offensive. I think he can say that now and then claim that he's grown or something of that nature. But I even think that he should kind of sit down and shut up given his filmography. Yeah, and you think that royalty check from Loose Change or the Blues Brothers when that comes in, he's like, "Nah, I don't, I don't want this because it came from the '70s and the '80s, and we're 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 kind of turning our back on that now." No, 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 no absolutely not. not, man. They're that's what's you know funding his alien conspiracy vodka or whatever he sells. Ah, Crystal Skull vodka. Yeah. So, um, no, I just, I, I, again, it makes me laugh because if you ever want to see, you know, a true, I don't know, an example of how shady corporations are. Hollywood's a great example. It's, hey, we're going to put on this show about how bad things are and and um, how you know we are very sensitive to these issues. But oh, by the way, we're going to reboot this franchise. We're going to borrow this and we're going to make a lot of money. And then as we're releasing it in the theaters, we're going to release the brand new 4K Dolby Atmos version of 16 Candles. Uh, so nobody's complaining about the money they're making off of it. And I, I think this is almost like a guilt trip. Like they got that check and they're like, ooh, I should go out there and say something about such and such. And to me, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's false. I think it's inauthentic if you're going to sit there and bash the thing and then turn around and take the money for it. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's also, it was a different time. It is a Can different time. That too? It was a different time. Like, it was a totally, but I, I, again, to me, it's, I, I wish people would talk about it more honestly versus it. It's so, uh, polarized, you know, and, and politicized where, you know, people are throwing around the whole, you know, woke cancel culture and going after them and other people are trying to, well, we really shouldn't be talking about this topics. It would be nice if somebody just kind of came in from a pragmatic, practical standpoint and just said, folks, everybody just calm down. It's okay to laugh here. It's okay to understand the context of a film, the intent of a film. Um, And you know what, like you said, we're, we're just a in a different spot right now in five years from now, we'll be in an entirely different spot and things that aren't funny today are going to be funny in five years. Well, you, you also remember that a lot of this stuff stems from Twitter. Yes. I think I read a, 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 some, some stats like there's only like 10% of the population is active on Twitter. Yeah. And so when something is like canceled on Twitter, it's like, two percent of the population you know so it's it's oh yeah the 90 percent the loudest it's the loudest care less yeah (laughs) yeah so well let's go stand let's go step on some landmines and let's get into you know the the entire month we're going to deal with lonely island so i know really nothing about this how how this kind of came about was we were going to do some comedies in december uh i wanted to do um it was pop star never stop stopping. Uh-huh. I think you wanted to do hot rod. I did. And yes, then correct. we said, well, let's throw Brigsby bear in there because Randy, um, our good friend of the show had told us about it. And as soon as he raved about it, you and I just bought the blu-ray 
And then lo and behold, we're like, oh, wait a second. Uh, I think you were the one that pointed this out and said, hey, these three movies that we want to do, they're all done by the Lonely Island. I had no idea what you're talking about. And then we threw MacGruber in there because we're going to do that this month. But please explain to me what the heck Lonely Island is. Yeah, so Lonely Island is a comedy collective. Um, so it's three people. Mm-hmm. It's Akiva Schaefer, um, Andy Sandberg, and Jorma uh Tacone, I think is how you pronounce his last name. So they formed or, or met in 2001 in high school. So they're roughly about my age. Um, they essentially were the first, I won't say the first, but one of the first, hey, our videos have gone viral on the internet before we kind of knew what going viral on the internet was. Um, so they would make these short videos, upload them. I mean, I think... At one point in time, I saw one maybe on E-Bombs World or something like that. And then, okay. of course, YouTube came along and they were on YouTube. Um, but they're kind of known for like absurdist comedy and music, essentially. Yeah. Like you put those two things together and that's kind of what they do. Um, you'll notice, um, you'll know Andy Sandberg from SNL. But the other two guys, uh, Jerma and uh, Akiva, were writers as well um, with Sandberg. So they all were um, a part of SNL for, um, I think they started in 2005. Um, and what they would do, which was kind of smart, is make digital shorts on the side. And then they would kind of sell them to SNL in a way, already done and packaged up. So that's how they did um, things like, uh, what was the first one they did? Oh, Mother Lover was the first one. And then, of course, the big one was Dick in a Box. So they did those. So they would get like together with Justin Timberlake, make Dick in a Box, and then kind of show it to SNL and say, hey, do you want to put this on? And they were like, of course. And then that was, I would say that the past 20 years, their shorts have been like the most viral things to come out of SNL and probably some of the most funniest things. Um, I mean, they had a song called Jizz in My Pants. And they played it on SNL. Uh, they also did things like I'm on a boat, uh, like a boss. I just had sex. I, so, wish, I believe. Uh, scatological comedy. That's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jack Sparrow and, and YOLO. And they they kind of are, are known for getting like real, I would say real musicians, but uh, like some stars to come in T-Pain, uh, Akon, the guy from uh, Maroon 5 and Justin Timberlake all kind of guess it on songs. Uh, Kenny, no. Rihanna, Rihanna did, right? Yes. Yeah, Rihanna was on there. Okay. Um, Michael Bolton did okay. Jack Sparrow, I believe. Um, they also do a lot of, so they do comedy shorts. They made albums, like full-fledged albums. So that's what I thought they were just known for because I had heard all the songs that they'd done in the music videos that I would catch as SNL shorts. So I thought Lonely Island just referred to these three guys who were doing like music parody vi- uh, videos and albums, you know, just yeah, like a, a, a newer a version of, of Weird Al. I had no idea that they had this whole filmography too. Yeah. And, and, and to say they're parody, I don't know if they're necessarily parody. Um, I think they're like legit, just comedy songs and like, Weird out, you know, he takes a song like Beat It and turns it into Eat It. Like, to me, that's a parody song. These does, guys but, are just. But he does other songs that are making fun of a particular 
art uh yeah st- style i mean i guess or yolo is probably a parody song so yeah you're probably okay yeah, yeah yeah uh but they did four albums um they've done some shorts for uh netflix they did that um unauthorized bash brothers experience right which was about jose canseco and mark mcguire which was really funny um and then they do movies and we are going to tackle some of those movies that they do this month uh they produced this one um, so they didn't really have a ton to do with Brigsby Bear, but they did help produce it. Um, when you put in Brigsby Bear, it does say a Lonely Island production as well. So, well, they, they have a, uh, they have a star or an actor in it as well. Oh, yes. Yes. Exactly. Ad, uh, uh, Andy Samberg yeah. is in this movie. So, yeah, it, it was crazy. So I had only known them for the music videos, but when you had put, you know, this equation together and said, we're doing Lonely Island films. In my head, I couldn't process it because I'm like, well, we're not doing music videos. What are you talking about? And you're right. When you go back, um, Lonely Island, when you look at the filmography, it is always broken down into did they direct it? Were they producers? Did they write it? Uh, or did they act in it? And there are a few where they did all four of those. So Hot Rod, we're going to talk about. Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, we're going to talk about, which they mm-hmm. you know, directed, produced, wrote, and acted in. Uh, and then you just mentioned the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience. So everything else that's listed in their filmography is either broken down into a, a great example is The Watch. Uh, they directed and they starred in, but they didn't produce or write. Uh, the film that we're talking about today, Briggs Big Bear, their producer and actor, and um, even something like Grown Ups 2 makes their filmography because they are an actor in or, or you know, had a bit part in yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're specifically talking about 2017's Brigsby Bear. This was my pick off of a rec- recommendation from our good friend Randy. And to, be, and, and to also, I mean, they're, they're also in television as well. Yes, all over so TV, Netflix they, specials so they, and everything else. Yeah, mm. they do a lot. They do quite a bit. It's impressive what they started because I think, I don't know about you, but in, in my high school and then early in college, I had some friends that, we messed around with, hey, let's try to do this. Let's let's write a screenplay. Let's try to do something together as a group. Of course, it falls it falls apart um, because that's just what happens to ninety nine point nine nine percent of all that stuff. They made it happen. Yeah, it's impressive. Well, in in the movie we're talking about tonight, I know you were too busy trying to be a ninja. So I was, uh, I was, I was in ninja school the whole time. <laughs> but uh, Brigsby Bear is interesting because you have one. A story of a group of guys who met in high school or college get together. They start doing uh, these creative films or music and everything else. And they come across another team who's kind of doing the same thing. And they all land at SNL. SNL is, is sort of the, I don't know, the, the hub where all this talent is coming together. And so the, the, the folks associated with lonely Island, end up meeting the director and the writer and the actor that we're going to talk about tonight for Brigsby Bear. And it's that collaboration that brings forth tonight's film. But the podcast is called Not a Bomb. And this film had a, what, very, very, very limited theatrical release. Is that did, yes. fair to say? Okay. So yes. why don't we run through the numbers? Because I got to be honest with you. I never had even heard about this film. It was not on my radar never even knew what this thing was about or that it even existed. And when you're reading about it and saying, Oh, well, 
yeah, here's some interviews when they're at San Diego Comic-Con, you know, in 2016 or 2017. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Well, yeah, but like all the news that comes out of Comic-Con, this is like a footnote. Yeah, it's in the lobby of, you know, some Hall H or whatever. Uh, But uh, like like I keep saying, a a good friend, listener of the show, had uh, sent us a message that said, hey, this thing is on sale right now. On Blu-ray for like, I think, I think it was seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine. He's like, you have to buy it, and if you don't buy it, I'm going to buy it for you and ship it to you. And it's like, no, no, no. We we got seven ninety nine. <laughs> we'll buy it. Uh, and how did this thing do when it was initially released? Yeah. So I, I will just preface by saying um, when I talk about the release of this film the first weekend, it released in three theaters. So oh, okay. Let's just say. Um, <laughs> So release uh, July 28th, uh, 2017, um, with an unknown budget, but um, Sony Pictures Classic buys this after its Sundance premiere for $5 million, which was reportedly much more than what the budget was. Uh, But I could not find something that um, told me the budget. But for Sony Pictures, it was $5 million. So we know at least it cost $5 million. Yes. Okay. Um, opening weekend, it makes $39,000. Long now you way. Say, <laughs> you say, wow, that's not very good. That's for three theaters. So yeah. the average per screen is $13,000, which is not bad. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad. good average. Yeah. Um, on its way to a grand total of $682,000, which is much less than the... Uh, $5 million that Sony invested into this thing. Um, so quite a, quite a bomb, not even grossing a million dollars, but never gets into many theaters, uh, very limited run. Like Troy said, and I, you and I read movie news. Yeah. We have our, I, I would, <laughs> we have a movie podcast, but we also are involved in keeping up on what's coming out and, you stumble across it. If, if something is like really good and and you're moving in a circle and everybody's seen it or just a couple of people have seen it and they start raving about it, you and I will usually add that to like a watch list and we'll, we'll track it down, especially uh, if, if we hear about it. But I, I got to be honest with you. I mean, this thing has gone by years and it wasn't until you know, Randy sat down, watched it. And next thing you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm buying a Blu-ray for $7.99. Yep. Yep. Um, so again, doesn't even make a million dollars. Uh, Sony invests five million in it. Um, critically, sits at an eighty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes with an eighty-six percent with the audience. So much better. Yeah. Um, much better than most of the films that we talk about on this show, which is uh, actually a nice, nice sort of change. Um, so films that you could see alongside Brigsby Bear in July of twenty seventeen, you could see things like Spider Man Homecoming. Okay. Guess what? We're going to get a new Spider-Man movie. Uh, <laughs> was it this month? Next month? This month? No. Couple. Yeah, yeah. Couple weeks. Coming up. Yeah. Coming up in weeks. Though, sidebar, I'm much more excited for the new uh, Spider-Man in, across the Spider-Verse. Much more than the other Spider-Man movie. Give me that one first. Yeah, I'm with you. And the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man thing that's ever been done. So I agree. I agree. Yep. Um, we could also see things like War of the Planet of the Apes, and it will truly be a planet of the apes. Um, <laughs> Wish Upon is another film, which I did not see. Did you see Wish Upon? I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, Dunkirk 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I think a film that you think that we're going to do on this podcast, I still have my, uh, I, I, I don't know if I want to see this movie again because I saw it in the theater and I got burned, but it's Valerian in the city of a thousand planets. Oh yeah. We're doing that one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. At some point. Um, girls trip was another one, which I think that's a pretty funny movie. Uh, the emoji movie, which is terrible. Uh, Atomic blonde and Detroit. Okay. All films that you could have seen in July of 2017. Well, if you were in one of three places. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Probably New York, Los Angeles, and Los Angeles, because they were based in Los Angeles. I'm sure that they had two screenings and New York had one. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's directed by Dave McCary, and he's done one film, Brigsby Bear. This is his only film. However, he's known for his work on SNL and a lot of internet series. So very similar to Lonely Island, he's he's done a ton of shorts, right? And I didn't know this. He's he's given us um, epic rap battles of history, which I, I remember watching those and thinking they're quite funny. So not a lot to go in terms of filmography for the director. And the screenplay is done by Kevin Costello and Kyle Mooney. And Kyle Mooney also gets a story credit. So Kevin Costello has, um, again, not a huge filmography and things he's worked on. He did Briggsy, Briggsby Bear in 2017. It's the first credit. He, he also that same year wrote an episode for Jean-Claude Van Johnson. So that was an Amazon Prime series that they were releasing a bunch of series and you got to vote for it. I don't know if you saw Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Uh, I loved it. It's fantastic. He also did Tom and Jerry from 2021 which is, uh, I, I got to say, I enjoyed that. We, we saw it in the theater. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good. And Kyle Mooney, he's the <laughs> same kind of thing. He's done a lot of shorts. And Brigsby Bear is his only theatrical script to date. Now, the thing about Dave, Kevin, and Kyle. So Brigsby Bear was co-written by Kyle and Kevin. It's directed by Dave. All three grew up in San Diego, California and attended middle school together. Mooney and McCary, alongside Beck Bennett and Nick Rutherford, later formed the sketch group Good Neighbor, excuse me, Good Neighbor, and all joined the cast and crew of Saturday Night Live in 2013. And Mooney and Costello wrote the film over a two to three uh, year period. So SNL, that's where everybody's kind of coming together, and I'm sure that's where they hooked up with um, the Lonely Island guys. And that's what we got here. So there's, there's, there's not a lot to talk about in, I guess, filmography, but yeah, this is like, Hey, let's get it. Let's get the band together and make an album. They're like garage banding this up, which I like because it makes me feel like at some point in time I could have made a movie, but I chickened out. So no, absolutely. And, and, to them. and again, they, they cut their teeth on doing a ton of shorts, releasing on the internet and getting a lot of popularity. And obviously that's how, you know, SNL others, discovered him. Uh, now it's produced. I thought this was interesting. Now we've already talked about, um, Andy Jorma and, uh, Akiva who make up lonely Island. It's also produced by Mark Roberts, Al D will Allegra, Billy Rosenberg. And here's where it gets really interesting. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller also are producers on this. Also known as Lord and Miller. <laughs> Lord and Miller. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I just want to mention real quick. Speaking is, of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Lord and Miller. Um, 
cinematography, Christian Springer. So he's done a ton of shorts and television series as well. Uh, his film work is a little bit limited, but I mean, he's he's done some pretty big high profile TV shows like Glow, which I think was for Netflix, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling series, yes. Atlanta, Last Man on Earth. So a very competent and um, talented cinematography uh, it kind of lensing this thing. But again, you're, you're going to look at the filmography and go, it's it's not deep, right? So not a lot of films for anybody behind the camera. So let's talk about those in front of the camera. First of all, Kyle Mooney as James. Are, did you know about Kyle Mooney outside of SNL at all? No, I did not. I did not. Good Neighbors was something that I apparently missed out on. Lonely Island I knew of, Good Neighbors not. Okay. So I I, I didn't even recognize him really when I turned this movie on. Oh, I, I didn't either. Um, now, he started doing film shorts in 2007, obviously, with his buddies. A about this time period, when he's working on Brigsby Bear, he is getting into film. He's doing, you know, bit parts for Zoolander 2 in 2016, Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising in 2016. He's doing the Drunk History TV series, you know, that year. He's on Saturday Night Live uh, and then turns around and does Brigsby Bear. So like you, I, I think I know him from Saturday Night Live, but I don't really know him outside of that. Outs, uh, he'll pop up in a film and I'll be like, well, that's the guy I think from Saturday Night Live. That's how I reference him, right? Yep, yep. Now, another person in this film, um, George uh, Lindeborg Jr. as Spencer, he, speaking of Spider-Man, he was in Spider-Man Homecoming. He was in Love, Simon, Bumblebee, Alita Battle Angel, and uh, most recently, Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, here's somebody that I did recognize because of these high-profile films. And as soon as he's on screen, I'm like, yeah, that's the guy from the Spider-Man films, and I remember him from Alita Battle Angel. And I remember him from Bumblebee because my son went through a Bumblebee phase where I watched that every day, and he's very good in that movie. Yes, I, I think. Bumblebee is a very good movie, yeah. by the way. Um, he's super talented. We'll, we'll talk about him in this film, too. This film is littered with a lot of character actors, and we'll start with Matt Walsh as Greg Pope. Um, this guy, when you go through his filmography, he's been in a lot of stuff, and he's again, he's very funny. When he shows up, I don't think he has a lot of lead parts, but he's been in stuff like Starsky and Hutch from 2004, Step Brothers in 2008, Keeping Up with the Joneses in 2016, Office Christmas Party in 2016, Brigsby Baron. But if you go to filmography, I mean, it's TV, film, TV, film, up and down. He works a lot. He You've works seen a lot. this guy's face, right? And then you get um, Michaela Watkins as Louise Pope, so the mom. So <laughs> in 2017, just that year alone, she had 19 acting credits in film and television. 19, okay? She's been in 129 movies or TV shows to date. And starting in 1988, I feel like she's been in every TV show uh, or film <laughs> since then. So most recently, she did Werewolves Within in 2021, which I think you've seen that, right? I saw that, yes. Yes, okay. she, yes I do remember her in that movie. Okay. Uh, Ryan Simpkins is Aubrey Pope, so the sister. You know, She's been in things like A Single Man from 2009, The House in 2017, which is a terrible film. Um, I think it's Will Ferrell's worst, but, uh, most recently she was in a series for Netflix called fear street part one, two, and three. So she's a, an up and comer. Somebody who's been around for a little bit. Claire Danes is Emily. 
She was in Little Women from 1994. You might know her from Home from the Holidays in 95. Uh, I think I took notice of her from, uh, was it Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet in 96? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, very yeah. much so. That was a very much my generation movie for sure. Yeah. 1996. A uh, year uh, after that, I thought you would you would appreciate this. She did the voice of San for Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Mononoke, but good try. Mononoke. Okay. Terminator yeah. 3, Rise of the Machines in 2003. Yeah. Yes, she is in that movie. Okay. Um, yeah. What about Homeland? She she did that series for a long time, for like nine years or something. Was that any good? Did yeah. I've always heard that, movie, that show's really good. I've never seen an episode. I've never been a Showtime show person uh-huh. um i think you skipped over her best film which is stardust yes she is in stardust we will talk about stardust too at some point yes and i i really like her too as an actress i'm like i'm, I'm always surprised when she shows up and um i think she blends in well with their character like when a lot of times and i think this is a compliment you you discover Claire Danes is in something when you go back and read about it, not while you're watching it because she, she really becomes that role. So she's really good. She's really good. Really, she's really good, good in this movie. Yeah. Greg Kinnear's detective Vogel. So, uh, you know, TV film, he did, uh, things like the Sabrina remake in 95, a movie we will talk about here very shortly, probably in the first half of next year. He was in 1999's mystery men, as Captain Amazing. <laughs> so that'll come up. And then um, a, a film my son just discovered the other day, Stuck on You from 2003, which he did with Matt Oh, that's Damon. right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's also done some other stuff like Little Miss Sunshine. He, he's a fun actor. I, I like him. He's so good. He's so good. Yeah, he's he's very talented. Uh, now, the, the big one, right? The big name, probably the biggest name in the entire cast lineup is none other than Mark Hamill himself as Ted. I've never. Yeah. He was in this what? little film called Corvette summer. I don't know if you remember oh, that. Okay, in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That guy. Yes. Yeah. Luke Skywalker in the voice of the Joker himself. This floored me. I, I didn't even think about this. 353 acting credits so far. If you throw in all his voice work and stuff, Boy, voice work. Yeah. He's done so much voice work. It's insane. He's actually probably one of the most prolific voice actors of all time. I know uh, it's, it's insane. Well, I, his, his first acting credit goes all the way back to 1963. He was in general hospital. The guy's been working forever. Good for him. Good for him. Yep. And the other person will mention uh, Andy Samberg, which you talked about this. He plays Eric. We probably won't talk about Andy today, because he's going to yeah. come up in another film. Like a lot more. A lot next more. Films. Next couple of films, he's going to show up. So we'll save um, our Andy Samberg. But I think this is a really good cast. I mean, Claire Danes and Greg Kinnear, going into this, looking at this, I was really excited about them. I didn't know what they were going to do with Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill is super talented, but you never know what they're going to do with him. And then kind of reading that he is sort of the antagonist of the film, um, I, I think it's a roll of the dice sometimes, uh, with Mark Hamill. And I, I yeah, good thing is, is he's not directed by Kevin Smith in this movie. So yes. it's actually really good that, and that that's what you were getting at. That's what I was that's getting what, at. That's, yeah. that's what scares me. But the rest of them, I mean, I know of character actors and then, you know, Kyle Mooney, it's like the SNL guy. Uh, but I, I gotta be honest, walking into this film, looking at the behind the scenes and then the people in front of the camera, I was a little worried about it. 
I mean, I, I know we have a person who was repping for it pretty hard, but on paper, I just thought that this was another, um, I don't know, SNL movie that uh, was just going to be a type of humor that I didn't get. And the reason why it bombed and the reason why nobody heard about it is because it was hot garbage. That that was really my opinion going into this thing. Truth be told. I don't know what you thought. I To be honest, it's, it's shocking when I put in a movie that I don't know anything about. Yeah. Like I said, because you and I and in, in, in people who listen to movie podcasts, we have a thing where we will look up things. We will hear things about films being talked about. We will at least know something about a movie before we watch it. I had zero context for this movie putting it in. Even like... I'd never seen a trailer. I, I didn't watch the I, trailer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, and the other thing is... I saw Mark Hamill's like, name on the front of this cover and I was like, what am I even getting into? Yeah. Like, it was shocking. And the cover, it didn't make sense to me. It, it looked like something... Like it was poking fun of like children's TV and and honestly, everything about this thing, just, uh, my intent was to delay watching it till, you know, a couple of hours before we recorded and I got a text from you. I think it was Thursday or Friday Friday night. It was Friday Friday night night. and I wasn't going to watch this thing till Sunday when we typically record and you just kind of texted a, a couple of words and um, it was, you know, pretty much like Brigsby Bear, holy cow. And uh, you you and I really don't share our thoughts on things at all. We, we try to keep it close to the chest. But when you texted that, I'm like, you know what? I, I might need to watch this sooner. Um, so I, I put it in on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> and I texted been, back. This uh, is kind of the same yeah. thing too the so. next the next morning like it was no less than like 12 hours and you would text me the same thing full disclosure this is our 78th episode i think this is the most anxious i have been to talk about a movie since we started doing this uh i i would put this up there with heaven's gate how anxious i was with heaven's gate yes so if, i will also put this out there too so i would encourage anybody if you have not seen this thing, which my guess is you haven't, I'm I'm going to assume 90% of the people listening to the podcast all over the world, they have no idea what this film is. Do not watch the trailer. Uh, don't read anything about it. Don't go to Wikipedia and read Maybe the Maybe stop the podcast. I would actually stop listening to the podcast and just, because we're going to talk about this thing from start to finish. And there are some things to, to go. I I can't remember the last time I went into a film this blind and was floored. Uh, but I I would encourage everybody to kind of have that same experience. So I a hundred percent agree. The movie will, you will have a much different experience, not knowing than knowing. And I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that for anyone. Yeah, I I don't um and and if you're sitting there going, well, I'm just going to keep listening because I don't think I'll ever see this again. I'm telling you right now, if you go to amazon.com and we'll put a link up on the podcast too. Brigsby Bear on Blu-ray is $6.74. And I can tell you right now after watching this film, if that thing was $67.40, I would buy it. 
I, I knowing what I know now. Yes. Yeah. Knowing what I know now about this film, $6 and 74 cents, that will be the best $6 and 74 cents. Uh, and again, that's as of, um, December 5th prices, <laughs> you know, we, we don't work for Amazon or anything of that nature. But, uh, if you know nothing about this film, do not listen to the rest of this podcast. Please go watch this movie. Uh, and, and with that, Brad, uh, I, I want to start with you and get your initial reaction on this thing. Oh, before we get into talking about the film, just one thing. I There were 14, I, it felt like 14 previews uh, of other movies on this Blu-ray disc. So, and I've gone to the movies recently and on average, you know, there's about 20 to 25 minutes of previews and commercials even and before commercials, you get, yes. yeah, it's, so. It's getting crazy. Hey, Hollywood, stop. I mean, we've got the internet, so we've seen all these trailers. I mean, one or two previews are cool, but you know, a dozen or so plus commercials and everything else. I mean, 30 minutes of ads before we get to the film. Plus Maria Menounos, like, okay, I get it. I yeah, get it. but uh, okay, I'm off my soapbox. Um, anyways, Brad, let's let's talk about that holy cow comment. Um, your, your just initial reactions on this thing. Yeah, man. I don't know where to begin. Um, Brigsby Bear is probably one of the most unique and dark, <laughs> uh, but extremely like heartwarming films I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I would almost call it genius level. And I'm like shocked of how much I was into this movie. I love the extremely weird touches it has. Um, but like the themes of this movie about like the creative process, friendship, good parenting, bad parenting, uh, obsession, pop culture, navigating the world. It's like all relatable. Um, I think Kyle Moody is like perfect in this movie and I don't know why he isn't a bigger thing. Um, after seeing this movie, I would put him in any movie and make it work. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't tell you how sentimental I found this movie and how quickly I was invested in it. Um, and this might be one of my favorite coming of age movies ever. Um, and it's definitely one of the biggest surprises I have ever seen. I loved every second of this movie and was immediately moved by almost everything that happens in this movie to the point where my mouth was agape through most, through probably all of this movie. Um, it starts out really weird in a bunker. And by the end of it, they're watching a Brigsby Bear movie. And it is like, this journey you go on with this character is something that I cannot even really explain how they make it work because it shouldn't. But everything about this movie is magical. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I, th this thing moved me so much that I, I was kind of scared to even talk about it because I felt so emotionally uh, attached to it that I was like, am I going to like, moved again on the podcast and have another reaction. It's so good. It has no 
reason being this good. Um, I, again, when you're talking about coming of age movies and just movies in general, this is like a surprise that I like am so mad that I, I had this thing cause I knew we were kind of putting it off to do on the podcast. I was like, well, I'll just, when we do it for the show, I'll watch it. And it's always been on those things where it's like, I don't even know what this stupid movie is about. And I put it on and we open up and we're like with Mark Hamill and we're watching this bear and you're like, what is this? And by the end of it, I'm like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I'm with you, man. I, I just, it, I picked it. I picked it because of Randy. Uh, Cause he had brought it up. Uh, we, we were talking in uh, and I was like, yeah, we're, we're going to do some comedies in December and we'll do it that month. And this was pre, we found out like this lonely Island connection, but it, yeah, this has been on the docket for a long time. And Randy has been pushing this on us for a a long time. I could never figure out why, because every time I pick this thing up and look at it, I'm like, no, it's just, this looks dumb. Like I'm not going to like this, but um, have you ever seen a film called uh, Harvey from 1950 with Jimmy Stewart and directed by Henry? Of okay. course. So it was originally stage play. Uh, and for those who haven't seen Harvey, it's, uh, I, it's, I don't know. It, it's one of those that I think have fallen off, um, the discussion when it comes to Jimmy Stewart, but it's the, the premise is this middle aged man and his invisible six foot tall, invisible rabbit. So rabbit. yeah, he was, no, that was a rabbit. Yeah. yeah so he, Jimmy Stewart's this middle aged man. And, uh, he sees this six foot tall rabbit and basically the plot centers around um, this guy's sister who doesn't believe the rabbit exists and tries to have her brother institutionalized. That's the whole plot of Harvey. And when Which my, obviously Harvey is a huge, like it, this stretch of, of brings me over to Harvey is not that far. No, 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 no. I, it's, it, it was the thing. It's obvious inspiration. Yes. And I didn't really recognize it until I had a minute to process. We'll, we'll talk about the emotional impact, but when you go back and look at the, the script and the performance and you go, man, this, this really reminds me of Harvey. And I have a, a fondness for Harvey because when my dad forced me to watch black and white films as a kid, uh, of all the ones that he would show and go, wow, we got to watch this one. I mean, we'd watch film noir and stuff like that. And I just didn't care for it. But when I saw Harvey, I, I really loved that film. And it was just sort of this charming comedy with a simple message of sort of sort of staying true to yourself in light of everybody thinking you're crazy and trying to institutionalize yourself, you know. Uh, but it's the film that eventually led me to It's a Wonderful Life because I wanted to see more movies with Jimmy Stewart. So I'd saw Harvey first and then, you know, eventually It's a Wonderful Life, which I, I absolutely adore. And, and to me, Brigsby Bear is the modern take on Harvey with a heart and earnestness I haven't seen on display in a long time. Uh, I can't I can't remember the last time I've, I've seen that much of it. Uh, it. It's a film. And I think you you pegged this a little bit. It defies genre. It's one of the most original and unique films I've ever seen. Definitely the most original and unique I've seen this year if not the last five, 10 years, it oozes charm and sort of captures the magic you find in like a 1950s classic like Harvey. But I don't know if it's because of the pandemic 
or my age or something of that nature. But this thing just felt like a gut punch um, emotionally watching it. And I do think it it has to do with a lot of, um, if you think about the last two years of all the ups and downs that we've been through the pandemic and all the shit that's on social media and the politicizing and the nastiness that's out there. Uh, oh my God, this, this was just, um, soul cleansing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's probably the best way to do it, but I got to tell like, you I hate using the word like sweet, but this movie has like a sweetness to it. That was just, I needed, I needed it. Oh yeah. I didn't know I needed a film like this until I watched yeah. it. And then all of a sudden it just, I mean, again, this sounds hyper, just total hyperbole, but it, it made the world okay for me, you know, after seeing it, which was weird. Um, <laughs> But, you know, let's talk about the technical stuff before we get into sort of the the emotional reaction. Uh, the performances in the script are the highlight of the film. I don't know about you, but I, I think it really comes down to those two things. Everyone. Yes. Across the board. Yep. Um, and I want to start the script because I, I, I like the story and the thing about the performances is the performances are driven by a script that's constantly surprising you. And it's intent on keeping the characters consistent, which again is something you don't see. So the, the script presents like some very heavy and tragic information, but then gives you a response usually from James. So that's, that's Mooney's character. That is totally unexpected. It's like James recognizes how messed up the scenario he's in but he cons- he just consciously chooses to focus on the positive and he does it throughout the entire film and again you'll hear this word you know a lot consistent he makes that character consistent and the movie avoids taking scenes that would typically be used to manipulate the heartstrings and sort of breathe some originality into the narrative and and here's just a couple examples and i i, I want to see if you have some um, favorites too but Detective Vogel, so it's Greg Kinnear, is interviewing James right after he's rescued. So they're they're in the police interrogation room, and you know the detective is asking, "Hey, I wrote, did, I, wrote I wrote this down too." Yeah, he goes, "You know, did 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 they ever touch you?" And there's this long pause. It's very dramatic, and it starts to go into what looks like one of those uh, typical you know Law and Order scenes or <laughs> Lifetime films, right? And, and Mooney's response is fantastic. Uh, he basically says, yeah, you know, sometimes they'd grab me. And then he grabs Greg Kinnear's hand and starts shaking it and says, you, you did a really good job and we love you a lot. And he's going on and on and, and he keeps shaking his hand. And I mean, it's the most awkward, but I, I sat there and chuckled because I, I did not expect that scene to play out that way at all. Yes. I also wrote Coca-Cola because they had that Coke in there and then the Coke comes back. It's like, I think Coke might've had some product placement is in this movie because every time there's a Coke, it's like nice glass bottle yeah. of Coke. So yeah, but um, yes, no, it, it is so earnest too. Um, yeah. Cause keep going. Cause I, we'll, okay. we'll come back to my point. There was another one that uh, again, I think sort of exemplifies it. So they're in this therapy session. And the doctor is explaining to James that Brigsby Bear is this fake show uh, that his kidnappers kind of put on and that all of his supposed friends that he was talking to online with this really basic computer from like 20 years ago, like all of his friends are fake. Um, His entire world is one big lie. And and Mooney is kind of crying as he's getting this information. Again, it's a very heavy and tragic scene. 
and they're all playing it um, for that weight. And it goes from this gut punch to James sort of recognizing the information that his fake father had put on this entire elaborate 25 seasons of Brigsby Bear. And he had just got done um, with his real father coming back from the films, seeing this movie Hockey High. (laughs) (laughs) And so he starts asking them like, wait a second. So my fake dad made Brigsby Bear and so did all of that. And so anybody can make a movie and who made Hockey High? And so he starts asking these questions about it. And all of a sudden this very dramatic scene starts to turn into this exploration of him discovering that you can make films and you could tell your narrative and you can kind of dream, you can create your dreams. And it's, it's crazy how that plays out. And again, it goes, there's these little elements of comedy that start to kind of seep through that. Again, they're, they're not, they're, they're nuanced and they make sense for the context of it. And it doesn't feel like it's just coming out of left field and you laugh a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if I had like laugh out loud moments, but I definitely like smiled. It's like I think you could. There are a couple. There, there are. There, a couple. there are. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I think there could. I think a film could be considered a comedy, and you're really not laughing that much, but you're like smiling and enjoying things. And then every once in a while, yes, there'll be a a moment that'll make you laugh. But I don't know. This isn't like a laugh out loud comedy. There are moments, but you definitely feel the comedic moments in this movie, whether or not you're laughing at them or not. There's, they're definitely there. And it's not like, it's not funny. Do you consider it's see, just he, different? Somebody I had read classified this as a dark comedy. I don't think it's a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I think no. it's, it's a comedy that has these very, uh, I mean, the premise is crazy. It's about a kid who's kidnapped and kept in a bunker for 25 years and then his real parents finally discover him and he and he's trying to kind of get assimilated back into the real world. But everything he knows about life, he learned from a TV show that uh, his, his dad basically made for him on VHS tapes, Brigsby Bear. His fake dad. His fake dad. His, his fake dad, yes. Uh, the kidnapper. Well, now, the, the dark comedy side, could it be that you consider this film a dark comedy if you think that this is about like our obsession with pop culture and looking at it sort of in that lens of how we obsess over there's there's criticism there for that yeah i agree yes exactly like star wars would be one of the and and ironically mark hamill's in this movie which i think is is kind of funny that there's this obsessive character who like is only focused on this one thing well tentative yes so he's like has this moment where he's his only focus is this one thing and we live in a world now where people are obsessed with stuff. And maybe that's where the dark comedy comes from is, is looking at that obsessive uh, society that we have now. Uh, but I don't choose to see that part of this movie. Uh, I, I don't know if it's, I, I think it's, it takes, it takes heavy themes. It takes very dark scenarios and the script manages to transform them into something that you don't expect, and yet it maintains its, its authenticity. And I think it does that because it treats the characters and gives them lines and everything that feel authentic. And 
a great example is James and Spencer's relationship. So James shows up at this party that is, you know, his, his real sister drags him to after only being a few days, you know, out of the bunker. Right. And so what happens is you think he's going to be outside of his element and people are going to make fun of him and he's going to have, uh, I, I don't know your typical, since we were talking about eighties comedies, you know, the, the jocks and everything make fun of him. And then he comes back, does his own thing. But what happens is he ends up meeting people and creating friends, specifically Spencer, and they're all very interested in him. And you see this relationship kind of come out of that and where it goes, it's very smart. And I feel like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it would work in the real world. And and there are some very funny elements in there, especially when um, he learns how to kiss. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's incredibly awkward, but it's uh, authentic. And then his reaction to it um, <laughs> makes sense as well. But those are, those are where the laugh out loud moments I think come into because you just don't expect it. And, and there's some fantastic lines too. They're funny lines, but there's some lines in there that again, just hit you. And Mooney, especially how he delivers him, uh, is so good. So there were a few lines that just uh, that really stuck with me when he's talking with Greg Kinnear, and Greg Kinnear is going through his uh, acting in high school, and then why he became a cop. Um, oh yes, yeah. and and he comes back yeah. and says, "Well, it's very sad you didn't get to do what's important to you." And that line is put out there and you see Greg Kinnear react to it. And again, like you said, it's a great ensemble piece. My favorite line out of the entire thing is that when, would hit me like really hard. Yeah, it would, but really I mean, hard. It, it's very subtle. Greg Kinnear's reaction to it. The line comes out subtly, the reaction subtle, but it has so much weight because it's subtle. And then the other one would just kind of floored me was when he, um, Kyle Mooney says, I've been an outlaw ever since I came into this world. It's dope as shit. It's dope as shit yeah. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud with that line because it just totally encapsulized this entire film. And for him to kind of put on that little colloquial phrase that he just learned, <laughs> it, it felt awkward, but it was funny. And then in the background, you get some amazing Brigsby Bear stuff because every time they're putting in the VHS tape, and you get Mark Hamill's voice, you know, giving these words of wisdoms and the one that just, uh, it, it really, uh, put me on the floor was, and remember if you're feeling romantic emotions, only touch your penis twice a day. <laughs> twice a day. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh my God, this isn't a, a kid's show. Um, it is talking bears giving advice like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know about you. I think the script is absolutely fantastic absolutely yes a hundred percent agree um yeah when he's talking to greg kinnear and in talking about oh it's you know so sad that you didn't get to do what you love it was like really it speaks it, to you man it does because i think we most people have i didn't dream to uh you know work in numbers my whole life you know like i that's not what i wanted to be when i was as younger um, you know, we all, at least my, for me, I grew up like obsessing when I was eight and nine years old, like Steven Spielberg and being like, I want to direct movies and do all this stuff. And then of course, at some point in time that goes out the way because you're like, no one in 1000 people could even put something together, let alone be Steven Spielberg. Um, and that's tough to, to, to hear like, oh, it's not that I don't love what I do. 
It's just like this settlement that, you know, happens to most people. They settle for what they're good at or what's, or, well, you don't set you maybe, or you grow into something based on that time of your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I gave up the dream of being a movie director at, you know, 15 years old or 16 years old. Um, and then, you know, hearing someone say, Oh, you know, it's sad that you didn't get to do what you love. And like, yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) And then you get this guy who just comes into the world and creates this thing because he wants to create it. And you're just like, wow, like it's maybe we make the creative process way too hard. And then one thing that, you know, resonated with me is like, you, you, our, our jobs are not the most creative jobs in the world. Like no. we're pretty uh, black and white. And so part of, you know, getting our creative juices out is doing this and it helps me with my creative process. Um, and I, I cherish that because I need it. Cause like my nine to five, nine to five, that's funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it is not the most uh, creative job in the world. Um, and it was like, I think we need to let people know that creating things and putting things out there in another line. He was like, at the very end, he's like, you know, what if people don't like it? He was like, who cares? Like you made it. Yeah. And I've had that moment with us before. It's like, what if people hate the way I sound or do whatever? It's like, who cares? You're, you're making it, you're doing it. You're putting in time. You're so who cares? And that, that resonated with me as someone who, does a fraction of what they do in this movie, but still does something and puts something out there for people to mock or enjoy either way. Yeah. It's it's, I mean, we all have our stories. I, I wanted to be a ninja that, that didn't work <laughs> out. I really did. I mean, you were close, you were closer to me being Steven Spielberg, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I eventually got to train and, and even, you know, compete in, in martial arts, stuff like that. But, uh, at that age when I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to be a ninja. I got into art. I actually went to art school for a little bit. Uh, and when I look at what I do now, yeah, those lines do resonate and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think what we do with this is trying to take a little bit of that creativity that we had when we're kids and still, you know, put it to use and know that, you know, even within my job, what I, I love my job because it does give me elements of being creative in terms of problem solving, not to the mm, extent yeah. of, you know, creating art per se. Although yeah. some days I think I'm creating art because I come up with some pretty <laughs> cool solutions. But pretty no, dope I, as shit I'm solutions. Dope as shit solutions, man. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think what is amazing about the script is the amount of themes that it tackles, the way it keeps the characters consistent. And, you know, it's it's rare to find a script that surprises you. But when you take a look back at it, the surprises come from an authentic action of the characters and it makes sense. Versus most movies, when they try to surprise you, it's coming from a plot device. And then if you were to actually sit down and think about it and go, well, that character really wouldn't act that way, or that really doesn't make sense. But for the purposes of pushing the story along and creating a plot twist and creating some surprises, the character had to do X. And I feel yeah, all the characters act, act like the way you expect them to do the sister being one of them. Like, yeah, he comes in and she's immediately like turned off by this guy because who the hell is this guy? Now I have a brother all of a sudden. 
And yeah, it takes time for her to warm up to him. And then at some point in time, she does. And she sees that this film that he is making, like makes him happy. And she becomes a part of that. And it's a natural progression of the character that takes some time, but you don't look back on her and be like, no, that's not how that would work. Like that's not how people are in the real world. Everything is natural and feels correct with every character, not just one character or two characters, but with all the characters. Oh, I agree. And, and a great example is Matt Walsh as um, the dad, Greg Pope. He is visibly frustrated because he's trying to get this connection with James, right? Because he, his son hasn't been around for 25 years. They found him. He's trying to make this list. And then he, he at some point just gets angry and he's angry at Brigsby Bear and he's angry at this whole scenario and he kind of lashes out. And again, it it doesn't feel out of place. And it's part of that third act structure of, okay, we're in the third act and you got to have this big event that's going to happen. And it does because James gets institutionalized. But that plot device doesn't seem out of place and it feels like that would actually occur once the family hits a wall with all these events and understands that that assimilation of James back into it's not as easy as what they thought it was. And it's, and it's not as easy as make a list and let's go do family fun stuff. Yeah. Let's go, go swimming. Yeah. Um, and I would assume that if you're the real father of, of someone that you just get back and you learn that the fake father created a TV show for your son, yeah. and did it 700 times. That would be daunting to try to sort of one up in a way as the real dad. Yeah. Or, um, or even, you know, for all intent and purpose, like deprogram mm -hmm. your, your 25 year old son, more or less. Um, yeah. but uh, so that leads to the other thing I, I want to talk about, which is the performances. Can, can we just, I don't know, take a few minutes and talk about how freaking amazing Kyle Mooney is. I can't, I, I don't know why he's not in stuff. <laughs> why, why is Hollywood not giving him more uh, comedic, dramatic roles? Uh, this guy is freaking amazing. I will go down and say that of all the performances we have talked about this year, if if we were picking a best actor of all the uh, movies we've talked about in 2021, <laughs> the bomb, the bomby goes to <laughs> the, the bomby goes to Kyle Mooney hands down. There is nothing that's going to come in, in the next few movies that we talk about for this year. That's even going to come close uh, to what this guy puts on screen. In my opinion, I agree. I, I was immediately drawn to whatever he has be it charm or just this earnestness to him. But I was immediately like, just, I, I don't know, man, it's hard to describe. Like I hate to be so dumbfounded by our performance and be like, Oh, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. But like this performance is so good and it's so good for minute one. And it's so good at minute 97 that I'm like, why I, I spent, half the time thinking when I was thinking about this movie is thinking about why isn't Kyle Moody, like Mooney in stuff? Like why, why is he not in stuff? It bothers me that this guy can't, isn't like known. At, I don't know, man. I think it's a crime. I, uh, I think this movie outside of the script, 
it lives or dies on his performance because he's the central character that's going through this. He's in pretty much every scene throughout the entire film. So he has to be on through every second and every minute of this film. And I think James as a character, I mean, it's a man child character. I don't know how you feel Which about could go wrong. Really easy. Oh yeah. I, you're hundred percent ready right. to rumble. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. I think a man child character is hard to do and it's hard to keep that character from going into the immature gross out comedy because every other film with this type of character, that's where they go. And, and most actors will go for the cheap laughs. Mooney's comedy seems organic and nuanced. And he is that character through and through. And he displays all of the positivity and confusion in each of his looks. And he goes back and forth between those so effortlessly. And that authenticity resonates. And I'll, 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 I wrote down a couple of other like great examples of how good Kyle Mooney is. So the bribe scene in the police station. Oh yes. I think it's freaking brilliant. So he's, he's trying to bribe Greg Kinnear with like a dollar and some change to get all of the uh, Brigsby bear stuff like out of the evidence locker. Right. And so he's crushed when Greg Kinnear is like, no, there's no way you're going to get this. It's police evidence. What happens after that? We're, you know, it's ours. We're going to keep it. And then he's like our, and Greg Kinnear is asking, are, are you going to be okay? Cause he's just, he's visibly shooken up and he takes that money back slowly and goes, I'm not mad. I'm just a little more rich <laughs> and puts it back in his pocket. And then the next scene goes into this exchange where you get that fantastic line where he's, you know, telling Greg Kinnear, I, I feel sorry that you don't get to do what you love. Right. Um, I love the scene with him and was it Monica, uh, his sister's friend or, yeah, I think that's her name. Okay. Yeah. It, I, I, if I got the name wrong, sorry, but, uh, he's, he's worried about having to get married after messing oh, yes. around with her, like one of his sister's friends. And, and it's this casual, almost awkward conversation. And he really believes that because she made out with him that he has to marry her because I'm, I'm sure that was in a Brigsby. That's probably tape. in a Brigsby bear. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then when she's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. He's like, Oh, thank God. Da, da, da. Oh, by the way, can, can we do that thing? And she's like, not a chance. He's like, okay, I have no problem. But that'll exchange again. It's really awkward scenario turns into this great comedic moment. And I, I laughed out loud at that scene, but there's an authenticity to that performance that makes you believe that. Yeah. So it makes it fun. Cause all these situations are just really weird and kind of absurd in a way. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about a fake TV show that a kid was shown while he was taken prisoner in a bunker. Um, and it's pretty weird. So your premise is like this weird thing, but you have this character who's so authentic throughout the whole movie that it, you're okay with kind of the absurdness of this, of the setting at the beginning. And then what happens at the end? Um, you need that because I think you can get off the rails real quick with this stuff. Oh, um, absolutely. Without, without these characters. Yeah. And and then the other sequence that just kind of floored me, uh, cause I thought it was extremely touching. And then it sort of ends on this comedic note is the entire diner sequence. So he goes back to meet this girl that Ted, the Mark Hamill character had used in making these Briggs, Briggsby bear videos. And so she's apologizing to him. 
And uh, she feels guilty for unknowingly sort of participating in this whole charade. And he ends up telling her that he's in love with her, always has been in love with her, and has this amazing exchange that kind of makes her feel a little bit better about what went down. And then all of a sudden the cops show up. And as he's leaving the diner, he's got his hands up and he's telling him, hey, look, there's no need to tackle me this time. <laughs> like, Let's not do that. Because the last time they showed up, they like took him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it's an amazing exchange. And to hear him make her feel so much better about um, this new piece of knowledge that she found out that, hey, she was making videos for some kid that was kidnapped for 25 years. And then um, you you know, police shows up and he kind of turns it into this comedic element of please, please don't tackle me again. Cause that hurt really hard. But again, it's, it's authentic. It's nice. It it's true to that character. And it's a great example of how Mooney sort of plays the tragic and the sweet and the comedic all together. And, and it just works, right? He's trying to fill it, uh, find out how this new world works. He wants to adapt to it, but he's also not giving up the things that he loves about himself. I just think it's this amazing performance you don't see very often. And I 100% never, ever would have figured that was going to come out of Kyle Mooney. Or the or a movie called Brigsby Bear. Or a movie called Brigsby Bear, yeah. Um, can we talk about Mark Hamill for a second? Yeah, I'd love to. Wow. Like, I, I know we can say more than wow, but that's it. He's, even, he's surprised Even after me. you know that he, like, did this thing to this kid for 25 years. You're still like, Hey, he seems like a good guy. Like he did all this work and you know, he made this show for his fake son. And it's like, that takes a lot of work and dedication. He obviously loved this person as a son, even though he's not his real son. And I found that like oddly touching. I was like, yeah, I, because, you know, as a father and, and you're a father, it's like, I would do anything, yeah, anything at all. And this guy did it. He did it. He put on, he made a show. He made a fake show for a fake son. And it's, I don't know, man, but he sells it. And Mark Hamill is, Mark Hamill, obviously, but it, this performance is, is really good because it's tough because he is the bad guy. He's the antagonist, but he's really likable too. So it's hard. It's. Um, and even at the end when he goes and, and sees him in prison, he's still really likable. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this for you. I, I owe you, I owe you this. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, oh man. Yeah. He's, I, he's a villain. Is he? <laughs> well, but I, mean, I, I mean, for, for the, for the, for the narrative, he's, he's classified as the bad guy or the villain. Right. Mm-hmm. But you feel sorry for him. And they show him as a caring, loving father who's a hundred percent involved with his son throughout the entire film, which is weird. And and then you find out he's kind of like this insane version of Jim Henson who's creating this um, entire Brigsby bear production for a kid he kidnapped. And you go, that is messed up. But like you said, you still feel that love that he has for that child. I mean, and he even gives pretty amazing observations about dreams and imagination and that nobody can take it away from you, which kind of becomes the inspiration for that James character. I mean, this the script delivers this character who's a bad guy but has way more depth than you expected. And then same thing I would say with um, Mark Hamill. I said with Kyle Mooney, like Mark Hamill's been in a lot of stuff, 
but I can't, uh, for the life of me, think of something that comes close to a better performance than Mark Hamill gave in this film. Yeah, like because I was thinking about the the sequel trilogy and stuff, and and his relationship with Kylo, and even with with Ray, it's like, man, I I wish it was kind of more like this performance and this sort of loving character than what we got, because um, it probably would have worked more. Um, and they're different characters, but still, I, that performance I wish uh, kind of reflected Brigsby Bear and and. Uh, and not uh, what we what we got in in the sequel trilogy. So yeah, I think you know Mark Hamill's been in our lives for a long time, but I'm going to probably take this away from like one of my top five Mark Hamill performances, which is insane. Yeah, no, I mean outside I, he does amazing work in general when he's not directed by Kevin Smith, but mm-hmm. uh, you know even something like The Last Jedi that I I, I enjoyed his performance. But you could kind of tell, and and I mean, all the stories are known. He wasn't happy with the direction that the script was going. So I feel like when you watch that film, you can kind of get a taste of that in terms of even how he's delivering his lines. But I 100% think that he loved this script and he knew this character and he brought a, a depth to that character. <sighs> And you could really tell that he he gave it his all. I, I would, I, I mean, I'd really have to go back and look at the 300 plus credits, but I can't think of a better performance that Mark Hamill's delivered except in this film. Well, I, I mean, it's hard with all those Joker performances and stuff too, so. It is, but I mean, as, even as good as, and fun, those are fun performances. Uh-huh. This one um, just has depth. And, and you said it, already, everybody in this film is so good. Everybody. There's not a flat performance. Greg Kinnear's fantastic. Um, he, you really come to love him. <laughs> you love everybody that's in this film. Yeah, and even like where the film could get it wrong, right? With Spencer yeah. and James, completely two opposite people, right? But they have this thing in common where they love creativity and creating things. Spencer is a big fan of movies. We see. He does say classics and then it shows a picture or shows the poster of heavy metal. And I'm like, I don't know if I'd call heavy metal a classic. He, he movie, had Tron there. That's a, and- <laughs> yeah. And then the, the thing in the background. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so I'll let it slide. But again, like we've talked about before, when you get in a room of people who say for us is like people who, people who love movies, mm-hmm. there's instantly that connection where yeah. now, you know, everyone in this room, we're in the same club. We all enjoy movies. I'm going to talk about this movie and see what you think about it. Or, oh, I haven't seen that. Um, who's in it? What's it about? Blah, blah, blah. We already have this connection. These two people have this creativity within them that there is an instant bond. And you would think, oh, kind of the jock guy, good looking guy in this weird sort of, um, <laughs> kind of you know, uh, hermits in a way shouldn't hit it off like they do, but you buy their relationship immediately. Yeah. Uh, Spencer is like immediately like intrigued by this guy and it just goes from there and they could get that wrong. And they, and that, and that gets wrong. That, that's done wrong in so many movies. But in this one, I believe these two polar opposite people would have this connection. Yeah, I agree. And and again, it, it goes down to the, performances and the script, the combination of those two things. I mean, they're so good. It just creates this powerhouse of emotion and uh, authenticity throughout the entire thing. 
Uh-huh. Can't say that enough. I do want to talk about the climax of the film because here's the other thing is what really annoys me uh, with most, and I, I don't, I don't want to say it's like, well, in today's movies, it's been going on forever, but you get on this whole really bad scripts or mediocre scripts tend to tell versus show, right? So you get to the climax of the film or you're, you're trying to show this character growth or you're trying to show resolution or something. Everybody tells you what's going on versus kind of showing you through character action and the climax of the film. And I'm, I'm defining the climax as James wanting to go back and see Ted Mark Hamill in prison. So they have this interaction in this exchange. And I thought this was so amazing. James has one question, right? And Ted assumes that question is, well, why did he kidnap James? <laughs> and said Ted. So Ted goes into his reasoning for taking James as a baby. And you hear this entire thought process and how Ted grew to love him, et cetera. And what comes out of James from response is, no, no, no. We've been working on this script and everything's going great, but we can't get the voice of the bear right. So would you kind of do this for us. And what I found just amazing about that exchange was you have this sequence where James is starting to understand the world and seeing Ted for what he is, right? Where it's a guy who took him, who loves him very much, but understands their relationship and doesn't hate him for it. And maybe even feels a little complete, you know, I don't know, has complex feelings about the relationship, but it's almost an acceptance of what's happened and is trying to move on and sort of put some closure on this chapter of his life. And it's very sweet and it's, it's extremely touching, but from a story perspective, it's a perfectly executed way to show character growth through action, that exchange. Right. And it's subtle, but you realize in that moment, James is in a really good place. And I just don't think you kind of see enough writing like that in Hollywood. Now, I do think they cheat a little bit at the end because, you know, as the film premieres and he sees Brigsby on stage and oh, Brigsby, Brigsby. Disa- you know, Disa- to me, it's like, okay, that that's your typical Hollywood ending. Um, you know, he makes a film where the Brigsby universe is destroyed and then break and you go, okay, that that's more, that should have been the, that should have been, that should have shown you enough that like he is now capable of moving on from this but yeah but i, I know, think they actually that ex- have to show yeah yes yeah. I, I think that exchange right there kind of really is where the climax and the resolution happens because so, their exchange so did is you so interpret good. that that is like now all i see ted as is the voice of brigsby bear that's like kind of all he is now no in a way i i don't think so i think okay. it's one of those where he's he's come to a realization of what Ted did and he accepts all of that reasoning. I mean, he doesn't get mad. He, he yep. hears Ted tell him exactly why he did it. And he's basically like, okay, that's cool. He doesn't get mad at him for anything, but he just kind of goes, Hey, we we've got to get this voice thing down. And then, you know, Mark Hamill's reaction is, well, let's see what you did with this. Let me see what I can do, you know? And, and they have this exchange and it moves on from there. Yeah. So I, I actually think they're kind of both in a good place. Like Mark Hamill 
gets some type of forgiveness from him and James is showing, you know, this guy, I understand what happened and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to do this. Yeah. I just have to do this one thing. Um, but I, I, I mean, I love, I love how this film ends. Love it. Like I amazing ending. No. Yeah. And I was moved in, in all those emotions. It, it was, it was, uh, shocking. <laughs> Just the journey I went on with this movie, man. It was something I did not anticipate. And I'm still sort of shocked that I felt this way by a film called Brigsby Bear. Yeah. Um, You know, the only other thing I want to talk about real quick is uh, it's beautifully shot. I mean, it was filmed out in Utah. It looks Mm -hmm. gorgeous, especially some of the things that they were shooting during the camping sequence. But um, this is a gorgeous looking movie, too, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I kind of wish I knew how much it costs to make, but, um, you know, it's one area there in Utah, um, shot pretty quickly from what I understand. Um, but no, it has definitely has a look to it. And, and it, to see, it's not written like someone who's only done like a few shorts and this is their only feature. The lead actor, it, it doesn't feel like this is their really their only feature. Um, it's shot professionally it's edited professionally it all feels so cohesive that you're like wow it's just a bunch of people getting together and making a movie and and then i get i'll go back to the things like well could that have been something i could have you know and then you get into this movie about how it's just hey let's just do something and and, and complete it and get it done and, and do complete that creative process and i don't know I've talked about doing things with people for so many years and then you get to be almost 40 and you're like, no, that's never going to happen. And why? I don't know, but it just never started. So no, it's uh, well, and, but, you know, whatever. And and the other thing that they do, I think from a technical standpoint now, I, I think it's Kyle Mooney who collects VHS tapes and they had a fascination with like these old shows from the eighties and stuff. These children shows what they, they found some of them kind of creepy, et cetera. But even the stuff that they did for the Brigsby bear tapes looks like they pretty much went into a time machine back in the eighties and grabbed some show called Brigsby bear and used it for this film. But they shot all of that and they edited all of it and they added like the post effects. So uh, when I say it's, it's shot beautifully, not just from like a cinematography standpoint for the, for the outdoor shots, et cetera. But even all of the stuff that they managed to do for the Brigsby bear videos, um, and, and even the film that they kind of put together at the end, you kind of see sequences of it. It really just shows a lot of creativity throughout the entire thing. And again, every time they do a different style of filmmaking, it looks great. It looks really good. Yeah, it, it's we shouldn't we should probably harp on that a little bit more. There's a movie, and then there's TV shows within this movie, and then yeah. there's a movie within this movie. So there's so much that was done to create this this movie, just opposed to the 97 minute runtime or whatever. Yeah, and I think it helps. Like Christian Springer, who was the the cinematographer. I mean, if you go back and look at his resume for TV shows and shorts and films, et cetera, I think yep. they picked the perfect guy because he uses all of the elements and probably all of his expertise of all the different formats he's shot on. And he comes yeah, to probably, something yeah. that is sort of just a, a nice little hodgepodge of all these different formats for the purposes of the story. And, and every element looks great. 
Yeah. 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 This weird, like Teddy Ruxpin, like spinoff character Brigsby is, <laughs> I don't know, man. If you have told me a year ago from when I bought that thing, when I've watched <laughs> this, it's going to be profound. I would have said you're a moron, but profound is probably not strong enough. Um, yeah. I mean, this thing has so many layers and tackle so many things. I, I think that's why I had such a, I don't know, an emotional reaction to it. I, I really did. It, it shocked me. I mean, the film, I, I don't know what kind of notes you took down, but when it, when it came to like, what is the message of the film? It, it, the first thing that resonated with me is it really talks about the power of film. I mean, we've kind of touched on this, mm-hmm. But one of the central themes through this entire thing is how powerful movies, TV shows, shorts, all of it is, not just in shaping our thought process, because that's definitely there. It's on display. But it's also the making of a film and the creativity that happens behind the scenes and how movies and TV shows are sort of the great equalizer. Because you can walk into a room and go, well, what's your favorite movie? Uh, What's your favorite TV show? And all of a sudden, that just sort of creates this bond between two people in a communication and this thing is totally on display throughout mm-hmm. the entire film. And I, I think yeah. you t- kind of talk about it as one of the best coming of age films out there. I would also say there's another subgenre of films where it's like, what are some of the best movies about making movies? This would be one of the top five for me in that subgenre oh, as well. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's a whole I mean, it's, it's permeated throughout, but you know, they tackle acceptance and and what does that mean? And Mm -hmm. that's throughout the screenplay, the believing in yourself. I mean, that's, that's the advice that Ted, the Mark Hamill character gives his kidnapped son. And, uh, James has that on display throughout the whole thing. And I love that, you know, there's also this message of liking what you like, regardless of what other people think. And there was another thing that I kind of picked up on. I don't know if you, so I think one of the biggest things of Brigsby's bear, and it comes through towards the end, especially when you think about like the movie, it's not called the Brigsby bear movie. It's called, I think like a Brigsby bear movie I made with my friends. Uh And even within the movie, within the movie, the whole Brigsby bear universe is destroyed. That's how that movie ends. I think it's a really, you you pegged it correctly when you said coming of age film, this movie is really trying to kind of tackle what it's like moving from your childhood and closed perceptions into something new and embracing new content. And there's this exchange that kind of struck me. Um, when James is introduced to Spencer, he recognizes, uh, or sees the star Trek enterprise on Spencer's t-shirt. And, James compares that ship to a ship in Brigsby bear. And, you know, Spencer's like, Nope, that's a star Trek thing. And he's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's the enterprise. That's the enterprise. Right. And I thought that was kind of unique because it's basically saying, yeah, that's the internet. And it kind of shows how people can't appreciate new things without comparing it to their favorites. And it's this little subtle observation that he has that when you are just grown up in this closed environment and all you know and love is this one thing, it's hard for you to appreciate new things that are being presented to you without doing that comparison first. 
And I think this movie, again, when you talk about coming of age, it's really trying to tackle that thing. Yeah. I, you know, you and Sammy always try to tell me that, you know, the seventies was the greatest decade for movies. And I was like, <laughs> no, it was the nineties. Cause that's what I grew up with. You know, that's where my main nostalgia is. Oh yeah. Um, you know, 19, the early nineties was when I was 12 years old. So that's like the most important time in my life. And that's where my favorite music comes from. And my favorite movie comes from and all this stuff. And yeah, you're right. Like, but it, I think some people can learn to appreciate other things and then other people know that's, that's what it is. I grew up watching star Wars and that's going to be the greatest thing of all time to me. And um, I'm never going to change my mind. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, it's, it, but that, that little, that little exchange pretty much went, you know, yep. Kyle Mooney, everybody who wrote that screenplay pretty much did a great job of summarizing what it's like to uh, talk pop, talk pop culture in the internet days. Yeah. That that's exactly well, it, how it goes down. Yeah, and then I the whole parenting side of this movie really got me and, and I hinted at it before like 15 years ago I wouldn't have cared about the parenting yeah. aspect of this movie and now I see that in you know you you see like one person wanting their real son to to love them and wanting to accept them and wanting them to kind of forget this old life that they had to enjoy this new thing. Um, because we're your real parents and we love you. Um, and, and try to connect with, with him and, you know, going through that and probably going to go through that for a long time with my kids and, and trying to find that connection and, yeah, man, it's it's got every it's got so many different aspects to it that um, it's it's hard to hard to quantify just how well how much depth there is and yeah it's funny, exactly it, how how deep this movie can go yeah and it's funny as you're talking about that like the parenting aspect it just kind of dawns on me that as much as this movie's about James and him coming to grips and letting you know go that environment or trying to live outside of that Brigsby bear. And you've got the parents who are making this whole list of like what it is to be a family. We got to go swimming. We got to do all the family favorite things. They're both coming at this scenario from the same place. They're, they have a definition of what the world is. And when the world isn't meeting their definition, that frustration comes out and mm -hmm. they feel like an outsider. So, it it's amazing how this film, as much as James is the center point of it, what everybody else is going through, um, they're going through the same thing that James is going through. And this film is about how do you get all those worlds to come together? And it's messy and it's not yeah, easy. Navigating, navigating the world is really hard. Yeah. It, and, but all of them have the same fundamental problems that their expectations are not being met by the world because he can't get the latest Brigsby bear tape. I mean, he keep, he's like, everybody wants to help me. Everybody says they want to help me, but nobody's getting me the latest Brigsby bear tape. So his problem with the world is the same problem that the parents have with the world, that the sister has with the world that um, Ted has with the world. I mean, Ted doesn't have a son, so he's frustrated and he goes and kidnaps, you know, one. So everybody's coming at it from, you know, the same angle and it's really like, hey, the world is not giving me 
what I want. It's not meeting my expectations. How do you navigate that water? Again, this movie's called Brigsby Bear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing, though, my favorite thing out of the entire film in terms of. threw that TV out of the window? <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. Uh, you know, even when Andy Samberg kind of shows up in his little. I, I, I like his such little. Such a sweet, nice character. Yeah. Yeah. Here's it's my like, bag wow. of swords and throwing mm-hmm. stars. And I got some other stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was subtle. He hands but him was, that, like, he walks by real quickly and gives him that ice cream cone, and you're like, holy shit, like, such a nice touching moment that they don't, you know, like for some reason I was thinking about Forrest Gump in that moment and like how, you know, he was trying to give Lieutenant Dan all that ice cream to be nice and stuff. And then in this movie, they just kind of do it. And it's pretty much has the same like kind of residency with me as that scene in Forrest Gump. And I'm like, this thing is like made for like a million dollars. It's got the same weight as Forrest Gump. Like, well, I, I think yeah. it has, I, I don't know. And it, maybe it's the timing. I mean, my favorite thing about this film and, uh, it, it literally brought me to tears. I'll be honest with you. I was, as soon as this thing was over, I was bawling and I know why, <laughs> cause I'm not, I'm not unstable, but we've lived in this environment for two years. And if you think about like when the pandemic started, how that was being treated, what was going on with work, being locked up for X amount of months, trying to navigate that. We're still trying to navigate it. And every time you turn on the news and you got one group who's like, don't get vaccinated, another group got to get vaccinated. And then depending on the choices you make, you're going to get judged no matter what happens. I mean, you can't walk out the door. You can't get online anymore without somebody coming after you for something that you did that you thought, hey, I'm just trying to do the right thing, right? And everybody's got an agenda. So there's so much bleakness out there. And what was so refreshing about this and probably why it hit me the way it did was my favorite thing about this is the infectious results of just being nice. I mean, you kind of talked about it when Andy Samberg characters walk by, he just gives them ice cream. And all of a sudden there's that aspect in the world where in a mental institution where this guy's being nice to him and you kind of see karma on full display because throughout the entire movie, even when he's typing in Google and doing like, how do I make a movie? And then he's like, thank you. He types in thank you you to Google and how nice he is um, throughout this entire thing and how James, as he's changing his own character and coming to the realization about his world, what his world is now. And he kind of succeeds through all that adversity through being nice and how it rubs off on the world around him and how he starts to receive that even in his darkest hour with some guy just giving him ice cream and some guy giving him like, well, here's my bag of paper swords and throwing stars. If it helps you out. I mean, you see this full turn of like what you put out in the world is what you're going to get back. And yeah, we need more Jameses in this world. We do. And um, it sounds really corny, but it was just, man, I think that's what hit me. It was, like, it was just like, wow, finally, something that I'm kind of putting in my brain, um, you know, through some kind of content that is reminding me like, hey, if, if you want a better world, if you want to like um, get the thing that you want most, you got to be it. So just go be nice. I love that message. Coming from one of the nicest people I know. Yeah, but I mean, 
dude, it's been a rough two years. And I, gotta, I know that. I got to tell you, man, it's uh, this was this was like that reset your moral compass, recharges your battery. You didn't know I, you needed it. And then it was just kind of refreshing to go. Yeah, this this works like I somebody is reminding me this works. This is how you do it. Yeah, I I finished this movie, turned it off immediately went upstairs. My wife was reading. I said, you and I have to watch Brigsby Bear at some point in time soon. Cause I said, you're going to absolutely love it. And she was like, didn't you just watch it? And I was like, I would watch it right now again, if you wanted to. And she's like, well, we'll, we'll watch it. And I, I've never, I can't say I've never, I felt so good after watching this movie and so sort of uplifted that. I immediately wanted to call you and just be like, hey, we have to talk about this right now. And all I could muster up with you was I put Brigsby Bear, holy shit. Yeah. And that was all I said to you. And you said, okay, I haven't watched it, but I will. And then the next morning you were just like, oh my gosh, something. And then we were, I was like, we have to wait, but I, I literally, I can't. Um, oh, I was the same way. I mean, after I watched it, I literally had tears in my eyes. I mean, and I was like, it was cathartic. It was like uh, something just washed over me. And, you know, for the first time it was, wow, I feel really good because there's just this message that I needed to hear at that moment. Um, I I think if you want to feel like things are getting a little normal or for you want, you know, if you want some direction on what we should be doing still in the midst of all this pandemic, watch Brigsby bear. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like James, although he was in his thing for 25 years and we've only been ours in two years for the pandemic. Years, yeah. I think Brigsby bear is probably the perfect pandemic film because it's basically taking this, um, environment, uh, and showing you how to come out of it and what you should be doing and how you should be acting. So <laughs> I, I think, I think the majority of the world kind of needs to see this movie and it should be a reset to kind of go, yeah, you're you're coming out of the bunker, man. You <laughs> you you've been holed up. Let's be for a nice while. and let's create something. Yeah, yes. be nice. Let's create. Let's um, you know, let's try to get through this thing together. Uh, but yeah, that that floored me. But I I think that's why I had such the emotional because I'm sitting there, I'm like, why am I crying like a baby after watching this film? It's it's not. It, I mean, it's this little independent film, but it just it resonated with me with that kind of like, yeah, if if we want to get out of this pandemic we gotta, we gotta do more stuff like this. Yeah. Brigsby freaking bear. <laughs> I just can't believe that. Um, and I had that same discussion that as soon as I like, okay, I don't, I'm going to look like a man and go upstairs and talk to my wife. I'm like, we got to watch Brigsby bear. Her immediate reaction was no. And the reason why is because, uh, Cam picked out a film, the lobster and I wanted to see it oh. too. And she's like, yeah. oh, I'll watch that. So we watched The Lobster, and she hated The Lobster. And a Cam little and different I, than Brigsby Bear. I know, no, no. But Cam and I loved The Lobster, and Tabitha was like, you're in movie time out. I'm like, oh, come on. That was a good film. She hated it. And when I came up, like, just raving about Brigsby Bear, she's like, nope, not not doing it. Because she looked at the cover. She's like, there's no way I'm watching this film. It looks like another one of your weird films. I'm like, oh, all It right. is a weird film. It it's is. It's a weird but film. It's, but it's not like weird lobster weird. No. It's, um, all right. Well. Brad, uh, it's not a bomb. God, you need it, no, to see it's it not a immediately. Bomb. If you if you stuck around, please, please, yeah, go watch this movie. I, I go agree. watch this movie. While while we were, <laughs> so when I looked on Amazon to see how much that Blu-ray was, 
And it was like $6.74. Well, I should buy two copies so I can just hand them out to people. So I'm, I got two copies coming. I got to give them away. Just on the street, like here. Here's Briggs Beer. I It'll think make so. Better. Yeah, absolutely. You'd be like, hey, you want to know how uh, how we get out of this uh, funk that the pandemic gave us? Watch a little Briggsby Bear. I do have a movie now where you ever have movies you just or make you feel good? Yeah. This is in that pile of like, okay, I just, I need something. It was a hard day's work. I just want to put something on just to make myself feel good. And there's just like two or three scenes in this movie where it's like, man, I would literally let Max watch this right now. He would probably miss a lot of it, but there's just a few things in this movie that he can't. But um, yeah, man, so good. Yeah. I I, I don't want to. (laughs) And I don't feel like we're overselling it. No, I don't think so Um, either. So this is one of those films. If somebody came up to me and was like, that was totally dumb and I didn't like it for X, Y, and Z. I I would kind of question that person's soul and go, dude, you need, you need help. Like you need to go see a psychiatrist. You are dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, exactly. This is like a litmus test. Absolutely. hundred percent. I agree. Well, uh, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about the, uh, Lonely Island once again. Yeah. We were talking about Hot Rod oh, next boy. week. I'm excited about this one. Yeah, have you seen Hot Rod? Oh yeah, I own an HD DVD copy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. One of one of the few I have. No, that's, that's that's how I saw it. I saw it on HD DVD. So I have I still have that copy. I have a Blu-ray copy. I I you know, uh full disclosure, I am a fan of this film, but we'll see if it still holds up cuz I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched it in years. Um, and I, I feel sorry for any movie that follows Brigsby Bear though. And I have I a, I have a feeling that, um, just off of memory, hot rod falls a little bit more into that sophomoric, like, um, uh, humor, yeah. more slapsticky. Um, uh, but you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's different, but it's still, it's, I think it's still got some of the same themes. It's got some heart to it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um, real quick, I was going to share. So we have been getting a lot of feedback for November, which I thought was surprising because out of the four films, we're like, well, one of them's not a bomb and the others. Yeah. They're kind of problematic, but, um, I, I thought I'd share an example. So everybody's been, uh, very gracious in the messages have been sending on social media, email and text. Um, and just wanted to share something from Alex. It was, uh, Hey guys, wanted to say that the last few episodes of the podcast have been so good and he used like four O's for so. So that's, that's really good. Right. Um, mm-hmm. looking forward to the comedy month. Haven't seen any of the lonely Island movies, but we'll be checking out hot rod and pop star at least Alex and everybody else who listens, you should be adding Brigsby bear to that list as well. Like right now. And I, I would say pick, pick that one before anything else. Cause that one's so good. Agreed. Yep. Yep. It's seven bucks. Yeah. Um, Brad, if anybody else wants to send us their comments or feedback or tell us what other films we need to be watching next year that bombed, how do they get a hold of us? That's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do a pretty good job of replying on those platforms. So you can reach out to us there. Um, we are, Obviously, doing uh, Lonely Island this month. Next month is uh, another theme, and then February is another theme, and then I think March we're going to kind of get back to to just kind of picking some 
random films here and there. But uh, though we might do our prestige stuff there. So, you know, I, I like doing themes because I like to have like a running um, kind of theme throughout the month. So it, it helps. It helps. Yeah. And a big shout out to um, Matt and the guys over at the Mixtape Podcast. They've been reaching out to us. Um, they've been, I guess, catching up on our older episodes. I started listening to their show. It's a lot of fun. It's a bunch of guys that um, have been just picking, you know, general topics. Uh, they do a lot of music shows, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. But check that podcast out. As always, you know, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We'll be having Sammy on um, here in a few episodes. Uh, the VHS Files podcast. The whole gang over there. Who am I missing? That um, The Backlook Cinema podcast. I think yep, they're yep. getting ready to start back up. But those are a few shows to, to catch up on. And... Um, I don't know what else. I, f- I feel like. Uh, oh, oh, crap. I meant to mention this a long time ago yeah. when we first started, but a listener reached out to me. I had s- talked about how I was, how I collect uh, PS1 games. Um, and he reached out and said, hey, you know, I've, I've got an extra PS3. It's backwards compatible. You can play um, PlayStation 1 games on it um, oh. through HDMI. Uh, sent me one just out of the blue paid shipping for it and everything. And just, so Brandon, I appreciate uh, the PS3 that you sent to my house. It's, I was a little nervous, like giving my address to some random guy who said, Hey, I want to send you something, but I opened it up and a working PS3 was just sitting there for me. So thank you, Brandon. That's awesome, man. That is, that is awesome. Uh, yeah, no, thank you everybody for participating in the conversations. Like I said, we, we do should this. We thank, should we thank Randy? Like, do we, do we need to thank Randy? We need to thank I Randy. I hate to do it. I no. hate to do it. For, for me, Randy has always been one of the guys that, uh, anything that he recommends, he's like, you really need to see this. I don't even know why I balked at this one. Cause he's batting a thousand, um, for me, everything that he's like, you got to go out and see. I have genuine, I, I just genuinely liked or come to love. And I, I don't know if it's because he's tuned in to like my taste in films, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Randy, I cannot thank you enough for picking this out and making us buy it. Uh, I'm sorry we sat on it for so long, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we owe you, we'll, we'll send you something nice. Um, what else, man? I, th- I think we're at the end. Yeah, we are at the end. Uh, Hot Rod for next week. And go watch Brigsby Bear, please. Yes, I agree. So I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. And uh, you know what? Just be nice, folks. It works. We'll catch you next week. Just be nice. See ya. Be nice, damn it. (laughs) No, not like that.